Welcome to Code Grays, an episode-by-episode recap of Grey's Anatomy. I'm Teresa Rosado. And I'm Megan Totsky. And join us for the big one, Season 2, Episodes 16 and 17. It's the end of the world, slash, as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I just hopped a little bit. I saw. <laughs> I'm so excited. Oh, listeners, we are so happy to have you here tonight. <laughs> uh, dude, okay. So we were going to record in time for our usual, like, Thursday. And I was having, like, a bad day. and was like, I just, I can't psych myself up for this. And I just need to be fully present for the episode. <laughs> and that's genuinely why we skipped a week. Was yep. Because I was like... No, no, I need to be more excited. (laughs) (laughs) And also because we have a special episode tonight where we combine episodes 16 and 17 because you cannot separate them. (laughs) No, you cannot. Even though they did. Well, (laughs) I know, but neither of us remember that way. So I'm pretty sure Wikipedia is a goddamn liar. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm jazzed. I don't know about you, dude, but like this to me is my first memory of Grey's Anatomy mm. and is also to me like when I rewatch Grey's Anatomy like this is when I am like yeah yeah, yeah. it's happening now yeah <laughs> like, yes everything up until this point's been fine but this is like my kickoff this point. is like it, it hooks you right like yeah. before you're sort of on board for it and the characters are good but a little whiny and and like you're sort of like okay if things don't start looking up soon I might abandon ship yeah. And then this episode happens, and you're like, holy fuck, I'm going to watch this show for 12 years. <laughs> yes. You know? Maybe that's an exaggeration, but, like, I, th- I think that this really shows the, the latitude of, of true drama that this, sh- like, medical drama, I don't know. At least for me, yeah. it really, I think it really was the, was the hook moment. Yeah. It's really, I mean, it's it's really well done. And Super Bowl episodes are hard, right? Like, you're trying to snag a pretty weird audience, yeah. a pretty drunk audience. Yeah. Like, half of your audience is really, really happy, and half of your audience, it's, like, the saddest day of their year so far. Yep. So, you, you, it really has to be a jack-of-all-trades episode. And I think that Grey's Anatomy, these two episodes do a great job of not, like, selling their soul yeah. to to accomplish that feat. agree agree wholeheartedly um <laughs> i i i think i think i know uh i think you're on tap for to summarize this this yeah yeah beauty. okay but here's the thing it's two episodes yeah i think you right? can do it so i also think that it's right? actually not that you know we talked about this we talked about splitting this up but the, the storylines remain the same through the two 40 minute episodes so so i think that summary wise you're yeah you can do it <laughs> oh that's 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 what that right means. right all right just okay. to i can be do clear this. it's gonna be weird if we split it up yeah uh, uh-huh it's gonna confuse our listeners all right ready <laughs> three two one. Oh wait hold on do you want longer than 30 seconds let's say do you want 45 uh, i don't need a full minute let's say 45 seconds all right i'm cutting you off at 45 Okay. Make it snappy, Rosado. Three. <laughs> I'll make it to 15. Two. And be like, I don't know. <laughs> One. Go.
Okay, so a patient comes into the into the hospital and he's been shot with a Civil War era gun. We've got, um, yeah. See, this is difficult. His wife is having a panic attack and just screaming. The medic has stuck her hand into the man's chest, which is a terrible idea. It turns out it's unexploded ordnance from a bazooka, and the medic pulls her hand out, and Meredith has to put her hand in instinctively, otherwise everyone's going to be blown to hell. Bailey's going into labor, and her husband. Husband's in a terrible accident and is in surgery under Derek. Um, and then in the meantime, Izzy and Alex start boning constantly. And the chief has um, a panic attack that they think is a heart attack because everything's falling apart in his hospital. Literally, though. Stop. That was really good. You did a great job. It was, it was, it was a really a rocky start. start but <laughs> after we got over that initial like ho-hum hurdle... You really crushed that summary. I'm really proud well, of you. I forgot. I forgot how the episode started. <laughs> I know you did. We all like, know you did. <laughs> Wait, shit. <laughs> how does he end up with a bomb but, in his body in the operating room? <laughs> but you focused in. You got, yeah. you know, achieved the task at hand. Thank I think you. we're all really proud of you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Go you. Go you. <laughs> so before we get too far into this as well... I just wanted to note that it is Megan's birthday this weekend. <laughs> hey, I have stress <laughs> vibes. This, this is our this is our cross country birthday party, wherein I just I just put her to work. But <laughs> our birthday parties involve audio engineering and. Yeah. Meredith Gray. And drinking. And but we're, we're drinking. I so. have to say that if there's, I know Teresa would like throw up in this beer, but I'm drinking the 2017 Hop Slam. And it is very, for if there's anybody out, Kelsey, are you out there? <laughs> <laughs> you should get it. It's very good. It's a little sweet. And it's a birthday treat for me. It's an, If I just hashtag this episode Hops, we'll have all of Seattle and Portland. See, listening. there you go. So. Hop Slam. It's bells. You like bells. Oh, I do it's like It's their those. annual double IPA release. Very good. Very hard oh. to find. Do you know I actually prefer double IPAs to regular IPAs? Really? Because they're smoother? I could not. I don't know what it is. I think it's like my Kierkegaardian impulse of just like, <laughs> if you're going to do something, fucking do it. <laughs> oh, I miss you. <laughs> it's great. So anyway, a very happy birthday to my best boo. Thanks. Thanks. And my favorite co-host. <laughs> I'm your only co-host. Okay. So I, I, this is actually kind of a tricky episode to like really take notes on and watch and digest and analyze perfectly. So I think we just kind of dive in, right? So it starts out with Meredith. Well, it starts out with George having a <laughs> dirty dream about his room. Well, about Christina and Izzy and Meredith having <clears throat> uh, naked shower soapy times and then George walks in and they all look at him. like it's a sort of like sexy scene where you know that it's a dream but you don't really know whose dream it is and then it pants to George without his shirt on and the whole world spit out their beer <laughs> in that moment you know <laughs> like it's just like oh okay and then it's pretty it's pretty genius because it's clearly it's Shonda like making fun of being of having the Super Bowl right. audience, right. right exactly and it's great because she ends the episode in the exact same place in such like a tragic, like Shonda. truly wrenching way. 
and just completely turns her intro yeah. around on yeah. its head and it's i it's yeah. great it's it's funny and then it's it's also just yep. genius too so it's so good so it pans to meredith who wakes up and she doesn't want to go to work because she has a feeling <laughs> and she sounds very childish at first you know it's a very childish moment where she's sort of like i have a feeling and i don't want to go to work and everybody's like you're stupid let's go to work and then she's really sort of doubles down and says like no i have a bad feeling about today and i love that because i think that it's sort of like <laughs> a universally understood feeling right where you wake up and you're like oh today's not going to be good right it's sort of the waking up on the wrong side of the bed or it's, i don't know like it's just a bad I, maybe it's not universally <laughs> appreciated or but like, like <laughs> everyone's every day right hypothetically <laughs> this is maybe how you felt for the <laughs> last 34 days <laughs> but uh what i like about it is that they sort of make that okay in this scene right they're sort of like no like everybody feels this way and we're going to call it out with this character right which is sort of meredith's it's the what's the term for it you always say the surrogate audience right is that right yeah yeah sort of like yes. a thing that you've always felt but you've never really seen represented or validated and they sort of do that with meredith right they sort of say like no, everybody feels this way and it sometimes makes you not want to go to work. And she has to, they have to like, you know, pull out all the stops and, and George and Izzy try to convince her and she's like not having it because they're dumb. And then it's this great moment where she calls it, they call in Yang <laughs> to like get her out of bed. And it's just great. I just, I, I don't know. I, I like really love that moment when Yang comes in. <laughs> it is. It's great that like pulling out all the stops means going <laughs> Christina Yang, wherever Yang lives, like <laughs> at the hospital, presumably. <laughs> and uh, and y yeah, Yang does Yang does some tough some tough love, and you you delve a little bit deeper into like what Meredith's bad feeling is, and it it makes a lot more sense once she starts talking, as of course these things tend to make more sense once you start externalizing mm -hmm. them to someone else and so she, you know she talks about like nothing good has happened to me <laughs> and you know she feels she she feels like she's she's gonna die today and that's that's the that's the feeling she has mm -hmm. specifically and you know uh that addison has her boyfriend and has her dog and and all of this stuff and and Yang's kind of like nodding along, you know, and, and, and trying to be empathetic and also clearly aware of what time it is. <laughs> and it ends with a really, a really sweet and terribly sad moment where she just, she just says, You know, I can't remember the last time we kissed. Because you never think the last time is the last time. You think there'll be more. You think you have forever, but you don't. And it, I mean, it just guts you. Because that's a, that is another universal yep. feeling, right? Mm -hmm. Of l looking back on a relationship and saying, you know, uh, wow, I I don't even remember the last time yep. we kissed. Like I've had I like this. I have written about this so much because so many relationships have ended <laughs> in my life, and that is. That is absolutely like one of the saddest parts of a relationship. Oh, absolutely. And she and she captures it so perfectly where she's sort of guarding the information initially. She's I've got a feeling. I don't know. I don't want to go to work. I don't know. And then she sort of like slowly cracks and breaks and says, I just can't even remember that. And that's like so painful to her that she doesn't she can't even go to work. 
you know, she can't even get out of bed. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and it's, it's awful. It's, it's so sad to watch. <laughs> and then there's this breath, this sort of pause. It's, and it's sort of this like pregnant pause where Christina's hearing it and she's thinking and, and it's totally silent between the two of them. And then Yang stands up and rips the blankets off Meredith. And she says, everybody's got problems. Get your ass out of bed. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like such a great girlfriend moment, you know, like it's such a great girlfriend moment of sort of like she hears her, right? The sort of pregnant pause between it really, you really get the sense that Yang is like, that blows. Like, that's really, really, really hard. But, you know, where you're not going to get over it is here alone in bed and you're going to saddle up and get in the car and come to work with us and they walk out the door and yang comes out and meredith's like a shell of a person behind her and george and izzy are like what's up and yang's like we're good we're going to work we're doing it (laughs) you know like it's sort of like if you've just if you're really drunk and you've just thrown up in the bathroom and your best friend has your hair and you come back out to the bar and your friend's like we're good we're good we're great (laughs) next round's on next round it's fine yeah. It's just that sort of, I don't know, I think that that's a really it's a very, very small but a well-acted moment for, for Yang and, and Meredith together. I really love it. Yeah, it's very, it's, yeah, it's it's really sweet and really sad. And, and um, I, you know, you made a point, you're kind of talking about the later happenings, specifically when <laughs> Meredith shoves her hand into a yeah. man's body cavity <laughs> uh, when she knows there's a, a bomb inside. But... <laughs> You know, you talked about this being like such a a particular kind of depression for Meredith, and so I was wondering if you like wanted to flesh that yeah, out a little bit. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm gonna sort of avoid spoilers in later seasons for our, for our listeners here who are maybe watching for the first time or who haven't seen the later episodes. That I think that this to me, we've seen that Meredith is a sad character up to this point, right? We've sort of seen that she's not her her skies are pretty cloudy. What and <laughs> But I think this episode is obviously a pretty, you know, clear, <laughs> clear divide of sad Meredith and truly, truly devastated Meredith. And I would absolutely see an argument that this is maybe the most sort of depressive Meredith in a way, uh, sort of peak depressed Meredith in, in a certain way. And I think that a lot of bad shit happens to Meredith over the course of the 12 seasons of this show so far. Uh, and, and I don't necessarily think that this is the worst thing that happened. I know it's not the worst thing that happens to her, right? Um, but this, she is so young in the arc of the show. She's very, very young. You know, she's presumably what twenty six, seven ish. Is that sort of how older? Does that make sense? Yeah, I was thinking probably like twenty eight. Okay. I think she's probably okay. Our age. So she's she's south thirty, but not not by much. Uh, and she's a young woman, and. I, this moment when she when she first enters the OR, so we're flashing forward a little bit into this episode, and, and um, Hannah, who's the young woman who has her hand on the on the unexploded <laughs> bomb, essentially, as soon as Meredith walks into that OR, you know that Christina Ritchie, Hannah, is going to freak out, pull her hand out, and Meredith's going to put her hand in. Okay, and you just that's like. I don't know if you felt this way, but like, I just knew that that was going to happen, right? You can just feel that Meredith's going to insert herself into this situation in a way that is dangerous and totally, you know, self, I can't think of the word I'm looking for, but she's just going to put herself in danger in this situation. 
And I think that when she leans into that moment, she has an opportunity to sort of run away. That's why I really love that Hannah runs away is because I think that she's pointing to a thing that Meredith would never do. And she never does in the arc of this show. She never runs away from a dangerous situation, Uh, a, a situation that puts her herself in danger. But I think this first moment she does it not really consciously. Yeah. Right. The other situations she's in a bad, she's up a shit Creek and she has no paddle. And she's like, well, here I am again, <laughs> you know, like whatever. And this first moment she, she puts her hand in this guy's chest cavity because she just, she just sort of like sees death's open arms and just like, sort of like leans <laughs> gently in, you know, like she doesn't jump she, in yeah. later episodes and, and, not so far into the future, we will see her like full forced, like seek death out, grab him around the neck and say like, take me with you. Right. But this moment she just sort of like, it's sort of the first time she's really encountering death. And she just is like, okay, like I will go with you. You know, it will save the people around me and it will, it will save me. You know, like I am not really interested in, in being a part of what this world has to offer me. And she just leans, like she just leans into it, you know, and not the way that we've taught to think to lean in in the last few years, you know, and it's, it's sort not of, Sheryl Sandberg approved. Yeah, exactly. Sheryl Sandberg. Thank you. I was trying to think of her name. It's not like a self-actualized thing, you know, it's just sort of like yeah. instinctively leans into the end. Yeah. And I think it's like it's and you just as a viewer, like you just know that that's what's going to happen. And you just sort of resign yourself to the sad character. And I, I don't know, like, I think it's really, really beautiful writing. It's what an Ellen Pompeo acts it, you know, to a T. But I just really it's when I think I really learned to appreciate the writing of Meredith Grey. That was a long tangent. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it was a good tangent. I liked it. I liked it because I <clears throat> I don't think that I see it as much as you do as like as as depression Mm. right because it happens it happens so quickly you know like truly one second Hannah Christina Ricci's hand is in this chest cavity and you blink and Meredith is standing there instead yeah and and so I don't know I don't know that to me, it was like symptomatic of her larger sort of depression. I I felt that it was like sim- symbolic of like where we're going to go with that idea for Meredith. And I think this kind of knocks down the door and like shoves us through into like the next the next phase of of her of her mm-hmm. sort of depression. Mm-hmm. And because I think, you know, I, I know that we're both thinking of the same storyline when we talk about her, like, truly actual moment <laughs> of, of leaning in and, yeah. and, and, and not, not tr- attempting suicide, but not, um, not. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> um, which to this day, I find, like, an absolutely remarkable story arc. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's down, that's we'll down get the there. line quite a ways um and and this to me isn't that but she she definitely has this overwhelming foreboding and and decides to go toward it anyway like she decides to go in the direction that 
the foreboding is emanating from. Yeah. Despite yeah. all of those all of those warning signs. So like in that sense, in that sense I really do get it. Um and she certainly doesn't seem she gets somewhat emotional talking to um talking to the other people in the operating yeah. room, but she certainly doesn't seem as frightened or upset or just frankly disappointed <laughs> as as one might expect when one is on the cusp of a horrible death. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yes. And that that to me is also like a larger sign of what you're talking about that like right. once once she's made this choice, she doesn't seem that put out. No. By the choice that she made it, which is again I think pointing us sort of in a in a direction that that we're going to go with yeah her. but do you really think that I mean I think yes it was a choice but I really get the sense to speak to what you said about like it happened so quickly is that that's what I mean about sort of her instinct like her instinctive pull toward this and I think that we'll get into this when we get there but like that's that's a big critique that Derek has of her later on right that like death knocks at your door and you open the door and ask him if he wants to come in for a drink you know, that like it's never her. And I think it's actually a nice juxtaposition in this particular episode when Yang says to Burke, you know, um, Burke has to to then operate. You know, it's a very dangerous situation. And and Yang is does not want to leave the room. She wants to stay. And Burke says to her, you know, you need to leave the room. I can't focus when you're here. And we'll get to that. But Yang's line back to Burke is essentially in the story, in any story, there's a guy who runs away from situations to be a hero or who wants to be a hero in a situation. And then there's a guy who's not brave enough and runs away. And she asks him to run away. She says, like, please don't be a yeah. hero, essentially. Don't be that guy. And yeah. Meredith is. And, and I think that's a great moment. Right. Because Christina says that to her boyfriend, whom she thinks that she loves. And 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 Meredith has just so done the opposite of that. Right. Like she's just pulled herself into the hero situation. And not to be a hero, yeah. right? Like, not no. at all because she thinks, oh, this this will be heroic, right? I think that that's the nuance that I'm getting at, right? That she's not trying to be a hero. She just, she just sort of is <laughs> not a hero. She just yeah. sort of is, like, existing yeah. in this space of, like, you know, somebody needed to do it and, and that person might as well be me. Yeah, I I asked, you know, like, do you get the sense with her – when she makes a split second choice, is it is it self sacrifice? Is it mm-hmm, impulse, mm-hmm. or is it death wish, or is it a little bit of all three? And and I think we agree that it's a little bit of all yeah. three. Like there's clearly a side of her that is hurting for the girl for Hannah. There's clearly a side of her that like is thinking medically and then I think there is also a side of her that is apathetic to the idea of being alive life (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. it is like equally apathetic towards both living and dying right I would say it's like you know like not the recommended state of of being I think it's like 20% death wish 30% impulse and 50% (laughs) self-sacrifice Which I think we should actually revisit this question when we get to later situations of <laughs> yes. of Meredith's yeah this apathy yes. toward like life. once a season we should have this. Yeah. 
I think that Hannah provides such a striking contrast. Yes. Like, oh to, God, it's so good. You know, Hannah's Hannah's clearly how like you or I should feel about the storyline or like should feel about the situation. Yeah. And she's this young EMT, right? And she's what did she say? She's like two she's weeks. Twenty two. Yeah, she's like she's yeah. 22 years old and this is like one of the first if not the first cases she's ever been involved in. And so this guy is is bleeding out of his chest obviously. He's been shot mm-hmm. by what we later find out mm-hmm. is a bazooka. And so she just instinctively puts her hand inside the wound which is inside his cavity, his chest cavity to stop the bleeding. And everyone recognizes Everyone that she works with, the other EMTs, the doctors, are horrified because this is yeah, not yeah. protocol. <laughs> and for exactly reasons like this, right? So we have this this young kid, fresh into her career, kind of vibrant. Even, even in the middle of this crisis, she's smiling, her Christina Ricci smile. She's mm-hmm. talking nervously to everyone. And... When it becomes clear that she's put herself in a dire situation and has put others in the same situation, she she responds with like such agony about it. Yes. And that's absolutely not what we see from Meredith, who's just all (laughs) stoicism or lack of interest. (laughs) Apathy. (laughs) And... And it's and it's hard because Hannah is eventually abandoned by everyone, and we sort of we sort of watch this happen as everyone freaks out and slowly like leaves her side. Yeah, and she responds to that by eventually trying to save her own skin and pulling her hand out and just bolting. <clears throat> yeah, and I don't know. I was wondering what you what you thought of Hannah. I. Yeah, I was just wondering kind of what you thought of her as you a know, character. I think she does 22 really well. <laughs> <laughs> I think that there is nobody nobody blames her for doing what she does. You know, like I think that when when we get to it I I think that we we both argue that Hannah is the the 007 <laughs> or the yeah, yeah, the 007, right? And like that but like not really through any no shade no no shade at all right like she is but like so would most people you know and 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 she's got this super i mean it's christina ritchie right like she looks kind of the same as she did in casper (laughs) you know and that's i think is super intentional like what a great choice for that role and and she she does a good job with it but but i don't i think you just kind of feel for her Right. That Meredith is just sort of taking it and the doctors are doing the best they can. And like and she's freaking out. And it's sort of like, yeah, of course she is. Everybody would be, you know. And I think that when Dr. Milton, so he's the anesthesiologist and they clear the room, which I don't really understand. Like they clear the room of all sort of extra people, which makes sense. And then for a long period of time, it's just Hannah and Dr. Milton, who's the anesthesiologist standing in the in the operating room together and he's squeezing the ambu bag and she's just standing there and he leaves like he abandons ship and he sort of says like i've got kids 
I can't do it. Good luck. And what I don't understand is like it's so terrible. any situation that allows for just Dr. Milton and Hannah to be alone in this operating room together. <laughs> Poor fucking plan. Yeah. And so I think particularly after that experience of, of everybody telling her what a stupid decision she made by putting her hand in the chest cavity of this man and then like being repeatedly told that over the course of hours as a 22 year old girl 22 year old woman like I think that being abandoned by that man and then having everybody come in and say you can't move you're holding an unexploded bazooka <laughs> like you know her leaving is is so hard to watch but not at all surprising to me you know like you really feel yeah. for her and I think she does it's it's some you know it's, I think it's good casting and good acting with what she does with that, you know, saying she really wants to be a hero and, and she just can't, you know, she's just not really up to the task, which is okay. right? Like <laughs> it takes a Meredith gray to be, it takes an apathy toward life and death to really be okay with being a hero. Yeah. You know, to argue, I think you can argue, you can make an argument that like a hero needs to be okay with dying. Right. And, and I think that that's not... And so, like, your heroes are not usually going to be 22 years old. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Or, you know, well-rounded and perfect in every way, shape, or form. That, you know, Meredith sort of... Not to go back to Meredith, but, like, is sort of a unexpected but true hero of the situation of, of willing to whisk, risk what she has. In a way that Christina Ritchie is not. In the way that most people are not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I really liked the casting of, of Christina. I'm I'm always happy to see her. My question was kind of like, what happened to her? Like, was she never able to like overcome Casper or like her forehead? Her like, forehead was... is very large. And why does she Huge. still have those bangs? It's no, it's good that she has the bangs though, dude. I don't know. Imagine man. her without them. It's rough, though. Those are really straight bangs and a time when really straight bangs were not the cool thing to have. No, I I was like, oh, thank God she has, she has bangs. Good. Thank God. <laughs> so she's going to be the new she's going to be playing Zelda Fitzgerald in a new TV show, apparently. I don't know who Zelda Fitzgerald is. Um, F. Scott Fitzgerald's wife. Oh, shit. Right. Yeah. Zelda Z. Yeah. Oh. Apparently there's full frontal nudity. I'm in. In the show. <laughs> Sold. I'm in. I'm in. So I'm, I'm happy that she's having a, a, a renaissance, but I think I always thought she was such a great actress. She's really good, right? I, I don't I, I know don't that understand. this is maybe an unpopular opinion, but I think she was really good in Casper. <laughs> she was great in Casper. And the Adams family? She yes. was perfect. See? She was perfect. Yeah. And I thought she was kind of an adult child actor yeah. in the sense that I when I saw her in other things as an adult, she seemed pretty much the same to me like you said because she already had this kind of aura about her of yeah. adulthood and like death and drama <laughs> and whatever. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I'm rooting for her. For sure. <laughs> yeah. And I love that she sticks around, right? And so I actually think it's a let's talk for a second about about her relationship with Burke in this episode. Yeah. And and sort of Burke in general, right? That Hannah is panicking. <laughs> and Burke sort of has a nice 
rapport with her, which is a kind of like a port in a storm that we really needed. You know, like he's he's been pretty awful in these last few episodes slash seasons. And he he's got this great moment where where Hannah's like, what if I just (laughs) take my hand out really quickly? (laughs) And Burke sort of recognizes the situation and he says very calmly, you know, very, very calmly says, you know, well, I think that if you did that, Mr. Carlson might might bleed out. And so I think that it would probably be best if you kept your hand where it is, you know, and really sort of talks her down off the ledge um, initially. And and he's he's really quite good with her. I don't know. I, I, I'm interested to hear your opinion on this. I think that he's really good with her. And I think the, the what really affirms that, because initially I'm sort of like, well, maybe you're just being a dick, <laughs> you know, like he's being a little condescending to her, but I have, I have more patience for it because she kind of needs that, you know, she kind of needs somebody to take her down from this heightened um, panic that she's at. But there's this great moment, at least at the end when, when Burke comes out and, and, and sort of credits Hannah to, to saving Mr. Carlson. And I think that's a great, that, that's sort of what sealed the deal, at least for me in terms of her, of his sort of rapport with her. But initially I was like, is this going to annoy me? And then at the end I was like, (laughs) okay, Burke, (laughs) you know, congratulations. You got through one episode. Exactly. But what did you think? (laughs) Yeah. I really liked what you said. Like he can be good with people who don't know that he's talking down to them. Yeah. And that feels 100% accurate. Like, she's too young, both in her job and in life, to recognize that he's being kind of patronizing. Yes. And so it works out great. (laughs) Exactly. No, I think he's, it's, this is the perfect situation for Burke and no one else. Because he's, (laughs) you know, he's already kind of stoic naturally. He's a very steady human being in general. And he handles the whole thing really well. Like he he keeps talking Hannah down from the ledge. He's he's very calm and kind with Meredith as yeah. well. And you know he listens to Yang and yeah. isn't isn't condescending toward her at any point in the episode. Even when he's like clearly frustrated and scared. Yeah. About about her and about her being so close to all of this stuff happening. So. I think it's a really good episode for for Burke and for and for Washington in general as an actor. It was like nice to get a reprieve from relationship stuff. <laughs> uh, no, a hundred percent. I I agree. I think that he he's he has a really great calm about him that is not and and we've sort of seen this calm several times, but the calm that he has in this episode makes you trust him instead of sort of distrust him, you know, like instead of him making blanket statements about his relationship with Christina, he's making sort of measured decisions about a incredibly scary situation at hand, which I think makes me trust him more. You know, this is maybe a turning point for, I can't, I can't totally remember Burke's what happens in the, in the story arc of Burke after the character arc of Burke after this, but it makes me trust him a little bit more, not just with his patients, but with his friends and with Christina. So I will say, like, the one the one issue I had with this episode was kind of the characterization of the men in general. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Particularly, we start out with Burke and Shepard. Kind of, Derek is like, we should get a beer sometime, <laughs> basically. And <laughs> Burke's just like, or not. Nope. <laughs> I, I mean, he just straight up says, 
no. Yep. And walks away from Derek, which is a victory in a, in and of itself. Like, Burke already starts off on the right foot. Yep. <laughs> this episode. Yep. But Derek's whole point is kind of like, don't you think we should be on a first name basis? We've known each other a while. Uh, you know, you're dating my ex's best friend or whatever, yep. whatever Derek's trying to do. <laughs> And and Burke's not having it. And there's kind of this thing between the two of them for the whole episode. It's like, who can be more stoic? <laughs> like, who can be who can have steelier nerves? Yeah. I don't know. It's it's really just annoying to me. And at the end of it, of course, when they <laughs> was that a was that a fart noise? It was a fart noise. Yeah, yeah. that's how. It... I wasn't actually farting. I just wanted you to know how I felt about this last scene. Sorry, stole your thunder yeah. there with my fart noise. No, it's no. It was a much better fart noise. You're now in charge of those. <laughs> Great. Going forward, deputy director of fart noises. <laughs> yes, yes. Please put that on your CV and I resume. Will. <laughs> so at the end of the episode, you know, one says to the other, like Derek, as sort of like a a nod, like a good work today, and then the other one goes. Whatever his first name is. <laughs> Preston. Preston. Which, like, why would Preston. you ever call him that if his last name was Burke and his first name was Preston? Right. Like, that's Jesus. a stupid name. It's so... It was so... Stu- Derek? Preston? Preston. With it's their so nods. Dumb. It's I, so dumb. You have to insert the audio clip here. It's so yeah, dumb. Yeah, like, you need the audio clip, but, like, I'll also try and make a gif of it and put it on Tumblr yeah. or something. Yeah. Because you need... It's so pretentious. It's so bad. Like, the visual is so... Yeah fucking annoying yes so <laughs> that kind of took me right back to burke yes. like oh it's like, burke's oh, still yeah. burke still out here i can Birkin. only appreciate burke in a panic situation <laughs> yeah yeah and yeah. so we could talk a little bit about Derek if you want which leads us into kind of some bailey stuff too yeah yeah we could talk about Derek. um trying to figure it all mcdreamy he's so he's also kind of tangentially involved with the bomb situation because he's working on Bailey's husband, who's been in a horrific car accident, and he's... On the way to the hospital, having, right? Yeah, on the way to the hospital because Bailey has gone into labor. Of course. Um, so <laughs> so Tucker is, is Bailey's husband, and he's under Derek's knife, and I, I don't even really remember what's wrong with him. He has like a brain bleed or something. Yeah, I don't know. Right? I, it's we took <laughs> between Megan and I, we had like four lines of notes on Tucker. One of which is Tucker Jones is really attractive. Yeah. <laughs> I won't say who said that. <laughs> anyway, it doesn't matter. It was Megan. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, but yeah, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> uh. Yeah, so so Derek's working on him, and he's working on him in the same, like, corridor, the same wing of the hospital that the bomb situation is in. And so they've evacuated everybody else on that side of the hospital, but they can't evacuate this one operating room because, of course, he's inside of a person's brain. Right. And not just any patient's brain, but, like, Bailey's husband's brain right and Derek has some funny lines about how like he's far more afraid of what Bailey will do to him than like death than a bomb <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is which is charming yeah. and, and well said yeah. um so so that's that's kind of what's happening with 
with him and he's he's kind of in the same place as Burke like Burke keeps coming into his operating room and being like Shepard <laughs> it's time to go and and Derek keeps going Burke I won't leave <laughs> and just like that's replayed like 14 times to get across that they're both big swinging dicks who aren't afraid of anything <laughs> oh god what an excellent critique it's an excellent critique yeah. yeah so and no one will tell Derek right that <clears throat> that it's Meredith you know he keeps asking because they really like to sort of squeeze all the empathy juice out of Derek <laughs> he keeps asking you know how's Hannah how's the girl with the bomb how's the girl and everybody's like fine Hannah's fine Hannah's great Hannah is a 10 out of 10 <laughs> And then at like the most inopportune moment, Yang like can't help herself anymore. And she's like, it's Meredith. And he's like, what? She's like, the girl with the bomb, it's it's Meredith. (laughs) And of course, because it's Grey's Anatomy in the early seasons, Tucker Jones, Bailey's husband, immediately flatlines. Just right then. It's like, what? It's Meredith? I don't want to live in this world anymore. I know. It's like this, like, bum, bum, bum. And it, like, zooms into Derek's face. And he's like, it's Meredith. And then it's like, beep. <laughs> and it's it's a great. It's really well done. That's what we're saying. Yeah, really. It's not heavy handed at all. Really natural. <laughs> yes. Very subtle. <laughs> and I do. This is one of my other lines about Tucker Jones that. And then it's, you know, panic and they're trying to pump his heart and do all the things and in his brain. And and it's like beep in the background. And no one's really, you know, it's like they're like, oh, shit, Billy's husband's going to die. And then it like zooms into Derek's beautiful face. And somehow his hair looks good, even though he's got a scrub cap on, you know, and his eyes are twinkling. Always. And he like whips around and takes his arm and just like pounds the shit out of Tucker's chest. Just like one swift, God, bam! I am just always there for that surgical. I don't know. That would actually be a great medical fact of the week if that's a thing no that's way. actually done. But, I mean, based on what I know about CPR, like, it's it, it's not entirely impossible that that would be a thing that people would do, right? If you're, like, really trying yeah. to get a heart beating. But I love it when they, I, like, eat that shit up in the show. Whenever they do that, I'm just like, oh, you just know they're going to live after that. <laughs> like, <laughs> nobody ever does that. And then they're like, oh, time of death, yeah, 11.48. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you just know they're going to live. It's a great moment. And it's the first, I think it's one of the first. We have the same note about that. I noted as well that I'm a total sucker for what I termed the turnaround and punch the patient in the chest out of grief rage approach. That's so good. I called it the old punch in the chest routine. <laughs> yes. Either way, yeah. the best medical intervention. It's so good. Sure. It's so Visually. dramatic. And I love it. I just love it. So Bailey's husband lives, which is probably good, I guess. <laughs> is it? I, I don't Tucker's know. He's kind of a dick. Ass. Yeah. That's later. <laughs> we'll get there. But let's talk about Bailey for a hot second. Yeah, yeah. Let's, so, let's do the Bailey thing. Because this because Bailey kind of ties into my overall critique here of like yeah. of sort of the gendered responses to crisis in this episode that don't map along the lines that they usually do. And I in the show, I mean. And that's frustrating for me. So we have on the one side we have Derek, we have 
Burke in their they're making very like level headed, you know, just strong masculine choices and faces at all times. Yeah. Then you've got Bailey in the care of Addison, and Bailey has completely gone to pieces. She starts out strong, <laughs> and it becomes clear that Tucker's not going to make it to the hospital, and she has no idea what's going on. She just loses all sense of propriety, yep. like, whatsoever. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and I think that I'm actually interested to get into some of this gender stuff um, once we sort of get rolling here, because my initial, and we might disagree at this point, because I, I hadn't thought about sort of this overarching gendered thing that's going on in this episode, so I do really want to hear about that. I do, my initial reaction with Bailey is that I actually like sort of her undoing. Um, I don't like it in the context of what I think you're probably going to say about the gendered stuff, so I'm willing to sort of dial that back but initially my yeah no i got you yeah initially i think that my sort of response is that bailey is sort of she's put on this pedestal right (laughs) like there's this great moment when bailey first shows up because she's in labor and she's like god damn it you're all like you guys are a bunch of wine she's yelling at the interns you know she's frustrated with them because they're pariahs (laughs) and george (laughs) hugs bailey because he like physically cannot restrain himself from from hugging dr miranda bailey you know and she's clearly uncomfortable but i but i think that that speaks to this pedestal that everybody has put her on you know and their expectations are incredibly high of her they expect her to be sort of the best teacher and uh, among you know she's just sort of She's this perfect woman in a lot of ways in terms of surgery. And I think that her sort of undoing when it comes to having this baby and reacting to her husband being in a, being in this horrific car accident and being in surgery is, is like, I think it's an important thread, you know, that like she is a human being. Right. And that like having a baby is very, very difficult. I don't know. I think, I think it's very humanizing and I, I kind of like to see that in Bailey. I like to see her be irrational for once. I don't like it within the gendered stuff. So I'm excited to get into that. But like, I, I don't know. I'm initially, my reaction is sort of like, yeah, ha- like <laughs> I can imagine zero worlds where I'm okay with having a child come out of my parts and, and sort of her undoing is like, yeah, even the most like stoic woman who's on a pedestal for the entire hospital and all of her life is, 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 it causes her undoing, and I like that. I think it's important. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. I, I think that I like it in the sense that it's – you're absolutely right. It humanizes a character that thus far has just been kind of a cipher. Like, yeah. we don't really know very much about Miranda Bailey, and this is our first moment of kind of knowing her. Mm-hmm. And so I can appreciate it from that storytelling perspective. Sure. I think it's the fact that she's she's bundled up in an episode with like a bunch of other female characters making impulsive, iras- irrational, like purely emotional choices that I'm like, oh, man, like, really? We were doing so well. The The other guy that I was thinking of is is the bomb squad guy, Coach Taylor. Yes. Kyle. Kyle Chandler plays the bomb squad guy. You mean Coach she's Taylor. Totally warm in here. You mean Coach yeah. Taylor. <laughs> Okay, okay, Coach Taylor. Anyway, it's Bob Squad. So, so we have these three guys who are like these pillars of you know integrity in a crisis, and then we've got Bailey just freaking like losing her mind and crying, and she refuses to push because she doesn't want to have the baby if Tucker can't be there, and and then you have Addison who 
who keeps it together to some degree, but also at a certain point, like, gives up (laughs) getting Bailey to give birth. I love that scene. Like, she's literally just sitting in a hallway, like, like, ruminating over the day. (laughs) And she's clearly worried about Derek because she knows about the bomb situation and knows that Derek can't get out of that situation. And so she's emotional and her mind is on that. And so it takes George to, like, kind of intervene and kick everybody into action so that Bailey will actually have this baby, which I find it's funny, but also annoying as shit, because, like, these are two impeccable professional women, and then it's George fucking O'Malley. So... So that was that was frustrating to me. And then, of course, you have Hannah, who sort of instinctually and impulsively, you know, puts her hand into the body cavity. You have Meredith do the exact same thing. Like, you have all of these women just making... And, and then you have Izzy, who is also responding purely emotionally and decides that, like, now's the time that she just, like, needs to have sex with Alex, which we'll get into. So, like, not a great showing. Yeah. For the women of Grey's in this episode in what was like at that time. And it still remains the most viewed Grey's Anatomy episode ever. And so I'm kind of like, well, we could have had a better showcase of what the show is about. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's like a truly excellent read on this episode and something that like, I, it's, I think that's. Whew. I just, I, I think I just come from a place of like I just ruin all media. <laughs> no, I think that's, I think that the, like that's why you watch this show, right? Like I think that that's why you have such an excellent perspective on this show, right? Is that like, it's it's the most watched. It's there's some super dramatic points. The characters grow, people die, right? Like there's a ton of reasons why people watch this show, and I would be interested to know how many of them are able to point out the hyper meth, hyper alpha masculinity, you know. And yeah. it's super frustrating. Yeah, and I wonder if it was at all tied to the Super Bowl. Like, I genuinely sure. wonder that. Like, was this written to kind of highlight the male performances because of the lead-in that they had? And I don't, like, I don't disagree with that yeah. from, like, a business perspective, but it is a little bit frustrating to look back on it now and be like, the episode that people really think of when they think of like quintessential Grey's Anatomy is an episode where women, women being women. Oh, they're so emotional. (laughs) Always putting their hands in chest cavities. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, just crazy sex havers at inappropriate times. Well, yeah, so let's let's talk for just a hot second about... um... (laughs) A hot... Second, emphasis on the hot. Hot second, because hot damn, do those two have some sexual chemistry because they're both so hot. So attractive. They're just like both ten and a halfs on a ten point scale. You know, like, I actually think that this is not Alex's most attractive time. He gets like a trendy haircut in a later season that I'm really into. But and it takes me a while to sort of drink the Alex Kool-Aid. Like, I remember pretty acutely, and I think we've talked about this before, Early on in, in the Graziers, I have I, I'm like never a woman who likes men who think who who's ever like into sort of the badass, like the bad boy who hurts your feelings and girls are supposed to like that. Yeah. Like that was never like I was I don't know, I always thought that was stupid. So it actually took me a really long time to sort of come around to Alex. That being said, this episode is an outlier and he is so hot and he and Izzy 
like you just know that sex is good right like you just know looking at the two anyway i'm getting ahead of myself (laughs) i want you to talk for a second about the like sidekick mentality that's happening that like that like pushes izzy and george into their respective you know (laughs) end games here in this episode yeah it's kind of a darling moment where you have you have izzy and george and they're sitting in a, a corridor away from all of the action. Y- y- Yang is working with Derek on Bailey's husband. Meredith is, of course, working on the bomb situation, although at this point she doesn't have her hand in the body cavity. And But Izzy, <laughs> Izzy and George don't have a single goddamn thing to do. <laughs> like, apparently there are no other jobs that need to be done in the hospital at this time, which seems insane. Yeah, but they're interns. Like, I also have a moment where I'm like, they're interns. <laughs> Like, who's going to give them a job in a crisis? Do you want to give George a job in a crisis? But, like, you see Alex walking around, and he's, like, talking to different doctors and looks like he's doing something. <laughs> anyway, they reach the conclusion that that Christina and Meredith are doers. You know what I think, George? I think Meredith and Christina are doers. They do. They're doers. They do. And we... We watch... And so Izzy's having this whole revelation and is like, we need to do. Yeah. And I told Meredith, it's like watching. You just called me Meredith and my that makes me feel good. Oh. <laughs> I mean, not probably in the context of this episode, but it makes me feel good. <laughs> I've been called way worse. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So I, I told Megan, it's like watching superhero sidekicks reach self-awareness yeah. right in front of yeah. your eyes yeah. like they they realize that the show is not about them <laughs> <laughs> that they're not the leads <laughs> and they just have this moment of like well shit <laughs> what do we do now <laughs> so george decides he's gonna go and make bailey give birth and <laughs> izzy decides that by doing she's literally gonna do alex like she's just gonna fuck him until the crisis yes that's the conclusion as he reaches and it's so great (laughs) which again in a vacuum i appreciate because yeah alex is hot and he's i think he looks great this episode i'm also up down on alex Mm -hmm. some episodes he's kind of sweaty to me and other episodes (laughs) he looks great yeah this is a very tasty alex yeah he looks great Yeah, I think that I, I, first of all, like, as somebody who sometimes has inappropriate reactions to grief or, like, the wrong, like, the emotion and the situation don't always align with each other. (laughs) Right. I really respect Izzy's inappropriate reaction to stress in this. And later on, she laughs and she she makes a there's some good writing and that she sort of says, like, ah, sorry, I laugh in uncomfortable situations. And they actually pick that up in a few seasons when she's like yeah. stuck into a and it, you know, she's going through a tough time and she she has a wonderful bout of laughter. But I, I think that that's like pretty common. I think that's another sort of like nod to the viewers of, you know, everybody experiences stress differently. And I there's this She's, like, trying to tell Alex that she wants to sleep with him. And Alex is like, what? Huh? Uh, what? Like, he just, like, does He's not such an idiot. get it. And Izzy has this great line. Like, it's so well done. It's like a Catherine Eigel just, like, you almost believe that she hasn't had sex in eight months when she's Yes. Yeah. Alex, 
I haven't had sex in eight months and 12 days. I'm horny, I'm half naked, and I'm saying yes. You want to stand there and talk metaphors? You want to literally take off your pants. And it's so, like... <laughs> She's just, he's just standing there like jaw dropped. It's like his jaw is like scraping gum off the floor. It's dropped so far down and it's, it's so great. And they just have such good chemistry and they have sex. Like, I mean, Alex looks like a 17 year old boy in this fucking episode. They have sex like four times in the span of like six hours. Good for yeah, Alex. I know. Really. Good for Alex is right. And they sort of, it sort of becomes a, the, the sidekick line, right? For lack of a better term, right? There's like this, these two main surgeries that are going on and it's sort of, they're the comic relief of this episode. Um, and, and, and Burke has to, or not Burke, um, they find out that the chief has had an anxiety attack, which we both agree is a totally gratuitous storyline, but the chief has an anxiety attack and they're worried it's a heart attack. And Izzy picks up the lab work and finds out that the chief has had an anxiety attack. <laughs> And there's this great, like, f- sort of moment of levity where where somebody's like, ooh, Izzy's like, who's going to, or Alex says, who's going to tell the chief? And Izzy's like, kind of thinks about it for a minute <laughs> with her expressive face and says, well, I gave you sex in a linen closet, so you got to tell him. <laughs> and I totally appreciate your, your, like, commentary on that, right? That, like, it's not even, her line is not even the best part. It's that Alex, like, meets her there, right? And we see them so rarely in these last few episodes. They're never on the same base. And for that moment, they're, like, both on second, you know? And he's like, oh, yeah, that's totally fair. Like, I'll go tell him. <laughs> yeah. and, he, and he just, like, owns it up that's to it, trade. right? He's like, sex in a linen closet equals I have to deliver bad news to our collective boss. <laughs> And I, to- I think it's just great, right? Um, I think that Izzy is, like, a little bit, I don't know, I get a little bit annoyed with her in this episode where, like, her, her sort of helper mentality, her, like, all she wants to do this whole episode is just is just sort of help. And if she's not having sex with Alex, she's like, what can I do? What can I do? Can I help? Can I help? Can I help? And I think that you're right that it's, like, a little surprising that there's not more help to be had, but her sort of, like, <laughs> insistence on on being helpful is reminds me a little bit of the last episode where she's like pushing her help against the will of her patients when she works with the the young woman who's pregnant and she's sort of trying to force her story. And I do get frustrated with that with Izzy where she's just trying to like insert herself into situations where she's not needed. And her sort of privilege is, is like (laughs) really bursting over the top. (laughs) So I don't know. I, I like have a, I, for the most part, I really love Izzy in this episode because I think that her character, she really owns up to being the levity that this episode needs in order to, to be a, you know, Thursday night special or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And again, you know, the Super Bowl episode, they needed to have some mm-hmm. like steamy, steamy sex. Mm-hmm. And I think they accomplished this in the most charming way totally possible. Totally agree. Totally <laughs> agree. So, did we want to talk a little bit about about the bomb guy, <sighs> about Coach Taylor and about kind of Meredith and, and where this all ends up? Yeah, we can talk about Coach Taylor. I'm always here to talk, <laughs> we could about, talk about Coach, Coach Taylor. Taylor for a while. I need to confess that I've never seen Friday Night Lights. Never seen Friday Night Lights. Um, I will say. I reference it a lot because I feel like I've seen it. Well. I think I would really like it. So here's the thing is that I had never seen it and I watched it this in 2016. I watched it this past year at the beginning of the year. And I just sort of like 
everybody loved it. And that show was like on when we were young. Like, you know, yeah. we were in high school, high school college. college. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And so people like it was appealing to people in our generation because it was they were just younger than us. You know, it was sort of like a kids TV show that we could still get away with watching in some ways. Right. I have to say that my husband and I watched it and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I, I really, really, really liked it. Uh, the, oh my gosh, I cannot believe I'm blanking on her name. The, so it's coach Taylor. Who's the bomb squad guy. And then his wife. Yeah. God, she's in Nashville now. What is I her know. name? I can see her clearly in my mind. Connie Britton. Connie Britton. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. She I'm is a walking IMDb. So yeah, thank you. She is wonderful in that show. So I would highly recommend. And it's also very easy to, I don't know. It's an easy show to sort of lean into. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I've been, I've been on the look, the lookout for a new show. I tried to watch the OA. Have you mm, seen the OA on no, Netflix? No, it's, it's fucking terrible it's oh. <laughs> oh god i want you to see the first episode i texted everyone who told me to watch the oa and was like what were you on when you thought that that was a show i would be remotely interested in that's amazing. so anyway i'm back on the march i'm back okay i'm back on the market for a show i gotta say that like the it's the f- I, I really like liked football. it it's it's and it, i like kyle chandler <laughs> yeah, I really liked it. And I think that it's, I mean, it's totally, it's totally, you know, Saturday night special. Like it's, it's really, it's, it's can be very melodramatic, but I, I, I really like the characters. I think the characters surprised me with how complicated some of them were. Yeah. Um, huh. Which Sounds I'm like another show we like a lot. Right. Right. So for <laughs> those of us who are here for character shows, Friday night lights, do it. I really liked it. And I really yeah. love, I don't even know Coach Taylor's actual real human being name. Kyle Chandler. Kyle Chandler. Thank you. You've said it. So I really, and I really love him. I think, I, I don't know the timeline that I think this episode aired before Friday Night Lights. And I would, I would venture to guess that this could be one of the, I mean, I think he is sort of at peak coach taylor in this episode like he really does he's like coaching meredith through this episode you know not yeah. To like, oh yeah you know beat the dead horse here with the metaphor but like he really does an excellent job with her right he is super super hard on her but in a way that you know that that's the only way she's going to get through this experience and i think he plays that coach role of hard ass, like loving hard ass so well all the way i mean <laughs> she's got a great line where like He's he's sassing her of like, I can't believe you did that. You're so stupid. I cannot believe you put your hand in that chest cavity. Like, you're so, so, so stupid. And she has this great line where she's like, you know when a good time to not judge me is? <laughs> is when a stranger is strapping a flak jacket to my boobs and I have my hand inside a guy's chest <laughs> with my fingers on a bum. And he's like, got it. <laughs> you know, like, I just love... They, I think they actually have, like, kind of a delightful rapport. You know, they like, they, do. they just get each other. They do. They're, like, I ship them hard. Yeah. I'm ashamed that that wasn't my immediate impulse. Like, I know. I'm so easy. Yeah, it's really nice. <laughs> well, and I think that he, his presence and his intensity immediately ratchets up the situation for me. Like, yeah. I go from zero to a hundred when Kyle Chandler shows up mm. as the bomb squad leader because 
he's such a phenomenal actor. I swear to God, it's he seems it feels so real to me. Yeah. And his every expression stresses me out so much. And like the upper lip sweat when they're transporting the body down the hallway, like he's so good. <laughs> oh god, dude, you gotta watch Friday Night Lights. I know what you're doing after we record this and it's watching the <laughs> it's pilot of Friday Night Lights. Because okay. it's it's the Coach I Taylor show. Up for that. No, yeah. but that's real though, right? Like he is such a genuine sort of his character is very authentic in terms of what he you know, he shows up and you really believe that he has a job to do. And he's yeah. gonna like I'll be damned if he's not gonna do that fucking job because that's like his destiny. You know, I don't know. It's just a really he does it so well. And it's I, I will reverse the question back on you that you ask in your notes is that, did you think he was going to live through this episode? I, I, I think that I remember being completely surprised. I feel like that's my memory of this episode is that I didn't expect him to die. Yeah. And I also think that this is the first episode of Grey's that I ever saw. Mm. So I so I didn't really know what it was about either. Yeah. Like I didn't really know that people die all the time on the show. So so I think that I think that I was surprised. And Well, this is the first death that we've been attached to. Yeah. I, you know. I think it's it's yeah, it's it's pretty clearly like our first big like holy shit. They they killed him off. And I think the way in which he goes is is so traumatic as well. Like, mm. it's a really good explosion scene. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's concussive in, like, sound and visuals and everything. And it's so sudden. Like, it comes maybe, like, a beat after you would expect something to happen yep. in a beat before you would expect something to happen. Like, does that make sense? Yes. It comes at like the exact right juncture where you're like, maybe this is going to, Oh my God. Yep. <laughs> the timing is impeccable. It's yeah. Impeccable. And like, and like the double that they used for Meredith or like, Oh God, her head. It's, it's yeah. And like the, the head going down. I mean, it's really, it's really well shot. I wa I watch a lot of action films. Yeah, and it's really good. Very impressed by this explosion scene. Um, and it's just yeah. So I think that I was really surprised. What about you? Did you were you a less naive viewer? Than no, I was a hundred percent surprised, and I think the timing is exactly why. Right, that you have a moment where he's holding. You, I mean, they show him holding the the bomb, the unexploded bomb, in his hands, and and he. The, I, I love the moment to get back to Co Coach Taylor for a second when he looks at Meredith and he's holding the bomb and he says, "You did good." Yes, and it's like, oh god, it's it's like heart wrenching. And then he walks out, and the timing, and Meredith thinks about going out there, and she decides to do it and you know she slowly walks out there and looks at him and there's a pause even there where they're in the hallway together just the two of them and it's like 
Oh, it's just, I absolutely 100% thought he, the first time I saw this, did not think he was going to die. And I think yeah. that you're right, that the timing of it and the the trauma of the way that he goes and the, even down to the detail of like, they, you know, the explosion happens and Meredith flies back. <laughs> Tonight we were watching it and her head hits down and Jacob goes, damn, <laughs> like, yes. oh, her head. <laughs> like, he's yeah. like ready to concussion test Meredith. You know? Yeah, it's like and she needs to be this... pulled from the game, coach. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Pull her, pull her. And then this like the camera pans up and there's this ch- this paper. It's like a singed paper and it sort of floats yeah. through the air and it just is like. Oh shit. <laughs> it's just it just got me. Like it totally totally got me the first time I saw it. I for sure thought he was going to live. And I think I remember being really cuz this time around I was really kind of confused too. You go from the trauma of that moment to like the relative calm of the yes. rest of the hospital. Yeah, it's so you, really so jarring. So you have a hard cut, right? And then your next scene probably from commercial is Burke and Shepard coming out of the elevator and they like, you know, they're kind of resting on the back of the elevator looking too cool for smug. Like they just jerked each other off on the ride down. Yep. And that's when they have their, you know, Preston, Derek, Derek. And, (laughs) and like everyone's like congratulating them. And and that's when Burke gives Hannah credit for saving Mr. Carlson's life. And Mm -hmm. they tell the wife that he's, that he's still alive and he's, probably gonna stay that way and yeah. i'm like did no one in the lobby hear the explosion yep. like why is there know. more panic i just don't get it it's so weird the, like the dissonance is is just bizarre yeah 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 totally agree totally agree there is this great moment when Derek comes out and after that you know preston burke or preston Derek moment where um, I think it's actually a great Adele Weber moment when yeah. Derek comes out and he's, he's, pan- you know, it's like the first look of panic in his eyes, which is sort of, it's nice to see that in him. You know, he's like been just trying to be so calm and he, he gets a sort of panic in his eyes and he says, where is she? Where is she? And the chief sort of grabs him by the shoulder and says, it's okay. She's okay. She's okay. She's right here. And Addison comes around and she's Addison is like, Oh, you know, she's so relieved to see him. Yeah. She's just, you can just oh, see Adam's that she's funny. so relieved to see her husband and she wraps him in his arms and you see this. I mean, he's, he's a good actor, you know, he's a good actor. And in that moment, he's like, his face doesn't soften in the way that you sort of expect it to. And Adele Weber notices it and she, she you can just see the wheels turning with her. I think, that, I don't know. I really, 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 I always remember this moment. And he leans in, she, Adele leans into the chief and says, you know, that's not the she that he was asking about. And, and you can just see that, like, this is sort of even, even Jacob, my, you know, Jacob's watching it with me and he's like, not, he's seen Grey's Anatomy, but he's not, I wouldn't say as invested as we are, (laughs) (laughs) but he sort of was like, oh, is this when, is this when the tables sort of turn with Derek and Meredith? Is this when he, they sort of realize that they're supposed to be together and I hadn't really thought of this episode necessarily in that way because I get so wrapped up in the the drama of it all. But I do think that's true, right? I think there's sort of a noticeable – it's sort of like Derek finally – allow. we sort of allow the audience to acknowledge that, like, this is not going to – you know, he and Addison just – it's going to be – Or on different 
Yeah. And we've, there. we've like, all seen yeah. that. We all know that we've talked ad nauseum about that for the last few weeks on this show, but like, I think that it's a moment when, when everybody else sees it, right. Everybody else on the show is like, Oh, you know, by Adele Weber, who's a total extra character on this show who shows up once every, you know, a couple times in a season recognizes it as sort of a nod to the rest of the show of saying like, Hey, these two characters are supposed to be together. And according to like trivia on one of the Grey's sites, that is evidently Adele's line is exactly what Shonda's mother said to her when they watched the episode together, like at the exact moment. No, like, that wasn't the she she was he was talking about. What a yeah. great line! Oh, I know. Great trivia know. question. Well, should we should we talk about the ending then? Beautiful ending to the yeah. episode. Yeah. And then we can move into our bits. I would say here's, I'd love for you to sort of talk us through the ending because I think that you, you sort of recognize the, the overall arc. I would say the preface to it is that if you haven't seen the ending of the show, I, I think it's like, honestly, I think it's so beautiful. I, I was, I was like, there was a, a brief moment where I was worried that you were going to be cynical about the ending. And I don't think I yeah. actually thought you were going to, but like a <laughs> moment where I was like, oh shit. <laughs> That's fair. Is she going to hate it? And I love it. Like, it brings me to tears every time I see the end of this episode. And I think it's, like, partially because of the music, because the music in this particular episode really seals the seals the Grey's music deal for me. Um, yeah. But I, if you – I would say to our listeners that if you have not, have not seen this episode or this combination of episodes, that the, the ending is truly – I think truly beautiful. Yeah, it's so, you know, we started out the the episode with the three women in the shower, Christina, Izzy, and Meredith, and George walks in and it's this sort of campy, sexy yeah. welcome from the Super Bowl scene. <laughs> yep. And at the end of the episode, we haven't yet seen Meredith. And so after the scene in the lobby, we cut to a scene in a shower and it's Meredith, Christina, and Izzy. But, of course, there's absolutely nothing sexual about it. Mm-hmm. They're rinsing all of the blood and the debris, what Dr. Milton describes as the pink mist from from the explosion. They're rinsing that off of her, just, like, as gently as you could possibly imagine. It's actually kind of a, a mirror image of the finale of episode 15 when all of um all of the grace bickham's friends sort of have hands on her it's it's a really similar scene in kind of it's Mm. it's like the maternal sense of the scene and just just the holding of meredith who like at this point can't really hold herself up and you have George, who was clearly wondering where they were. He just peeks inside, sees what's happening, and then just leaves without saying anything to anyone. Just, again, like recognizing that that's, that's not the space, that he had trespassed on a space. And then the, and then the scene kind of proceeds. And, and overlaid is this really beautiful song, Unlike Me. And it's an acapella song by Kate Havnevik. And it's gorgeous. It's like a like the world's saddest lullaby. Yeah. Um, and and so it's just a it's really beautiful. I don't know how else to describe it as just being 
such a wonderful example of like full story, like full circle storytelling. Mm -hmm. And then you think that's the end. And that could have been a really beautiful and fitting end of the episode. But then they take it one step further to return to Meredith's monologue from the opening. Derek comes to make sure that she's okay. He comes to the house. And before he goes, she says, you know, I can't remember our last kiss. And then he describes it for her. And for all of the shit that we give Derek Shepard, this has got to be one of his finest moments as like a human. Because he, it's, not, it doesn't, it's not a come on. It's not he, he wants her to have it. Like he has it. And it clearly, he's smiling, right? In his like kind of smiling all the way up to his eyes way. Like it, it brings him some measure of happiness and he wants her to have it too. And so he says, It was a Thursday morning. Wearing that ratty little Dartmouth t-shirt. You look so good. One with a hole in the back of the neck. You just washed your hair and you smelled like some kind of flower. I was running late for surgery. You said you were going to see me later. And you leaned to me. You put your hand on my chest. And you kissed me. Soft. It's quick. I'm like a habit. You know, like we do it every day for the rest of our lives. The way, the way he describes it as, it was quick. Kind of like a habit. Oh. <laughs> it's got to be one of the best lines in this whole show, right? I just, I mean, that... His monologue there is we, I think, collectively really needed that from him after watching him this last, you know, 10, 12 episodes. And it just I I think, like you said, like, it's not like they it's not like Derek is phoning it in in that moment. Right. Like you really believe in that moment that he remembers that kiss, you know, and I think that they so Meredith so encapsulates this like sadness at the beginning of the episode of. I can't go to work because I can't remember our last kiss. You know, like that's, that's the root of what she's saying. Right. Is that like, it makes me want to die because I can't even remember our last kiss. And like, that's how much she loves him. And he comes back at the end and says like, it's okay that you don't because I do. And it was like a habit, you know, like you looked up from the newspaper and you kissed me and then you went back to it. Like we would do it our whole damn lives, you know? And it's just like, it's so heartbreaking because because every like you said at the beginning, right, that everybody has that moment of like, oh, I can't even remember the last time I kissed this person that I thought I might love. And then to have that person at the end knock on your door and say, by the way, it was that morning when you were wearing the Dartmouth T-shirt and you smelled like lavender. You yeah. know, like I remember it perfectly. It's just like like you never think that that's going to happen. And it's, you know, I. I I think that you, you said you said in your notes that it's like a some people might call it very melodramatic, which like I I totally get that and I can see that. But for me, these characters are so believable and so well acted that I think that it's I don't know. It's like painful for me to watch that. It's so good. Yeah, I, I agree. I just, you know, I I don't care that it's a melodrama. Like I think in the final few moments you're doing really important work. Yeah. And it shows and it's great. And I, yeah. Well, and I think it's, that we, it's as, a great ending to a great, I agree. Pair of episodes. And I think that it gets, we, 
as viewers to buy into their relationship in a way that maybe we haven't before. Yes. Which is huge. Like that's huge. And the same with Burke, right? That we've talked about that with Burke in this episode is that like we sort of feel things for Burke that we haven't felt in a long time. And I think that it's super important for the writers of Grey's Anatomy for us to, to learn to buy in again to Meredith and Derek, because we haven't really been able to for a long time. And I think that this, the combination of her monologue at the beginning and his at the end is like, you know, it, it, it causes us to buy into their relationship again, which is hugely important. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's not quite a reset, but no, it is definitely like a site of reinvestment. Exactly. Yep. 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 Are we, are we at the bits? Should we do some bits? Yeah. So I got to say that, like, I'm excited for us to talk (laughs) about the music of this episode. This uh, this episode is almost like the beginning of when I knew. I mean, like the Tegan and Sarah thing early on in this show really got me because it was very early on in my love for Tegan and Sarah. But and there's for the show as a whole. But this particular combination of two episodes really like there's four songs in here that I really, really, really love. So it's hard for me to pick a, f- I mean, the Kate Havanick song, Havanivik, Havanivik, Havanivik. I have no idea. I don't know. Anyway, that song is, I remember listening to the song and then like logging onto iTunes and using the like debit card I had in high school and like punching yes. in the number and being like, this is worth 99 cents for my like pizza oh, cooking yes. job. You know, like I remember buying it and, this had to be one of my first yeah, iTunes exactly, as well. exactly. Had to have been. Uh, so I that that song is, oh, it's just so 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 good, and um, breathe the song that plays just before that is a great. I don't know who. Uh, I it's not a song I recognize outside of the context of this episode, but I really love it. I think the timing of it is when they're trans. Maybe, I downloaded that one. Yeah, too. it's good. It's really it's really good. Fun. It's really excellent. I have to say that I have a very soft spot in my heart for the song The World Spins Madly On by the Weepies. Um, the Weepies. God. Yeah. I mean, first of all, their name is The Weepies. So they're like yes. pretty conducive to my general, you know. Yeah, like genre. you and I were already right. there. Exactly. And this song, I, I, another one of my first iTunes purchases at a time when I was very broke and every iTunes purchase was like a conscious choice. Very meaningful. <laughs> you know, yes. and I remember listening to this song on repeat between my freshman and sophomore year in college and just like, it just like took me away. And to this day, when I hear the song, I like pause, <laughs> you know, there's just like something about it. And I think that it actually really speaks strongly to this episode lyrically, you know, it's sort of like... The first line is, I woke up and wished that I was dead. And it's the weepies, so they're, it's sort of twee. Like, there's a twee quality to their yes. to their voices and to their, you know, ukuleles and instruments that, like, you know, it doesn't sound like sad music, but the lyrics are de- <laughs> devastating. <laughs> and it's sort of like, <laughs> no matter what I do, the world just spins madly on around me. And I just, like, I think it's actually really delightful for this episode of, like, having a twee song amongst a bomb inside a person who like it can't explode until it goes into someone else's hands and it's like it's so good but i really want to talk about in the sun right oh like oh i want to talk about it so in the rain 
Which, or in the sun. Yeah, yeah in no, the sun. in the sun. It's You're in right. the sun. I wrote it wrong. So I have to say that in the sun, anytime I hear the song makes me think of Teresa. A hundred percent of the time. Damn well yeah. better. Like, I cannot hear this song without being like, I wonder where she is right now. And I wonder if she's also crying <laughs> because I am because I'm listening to this song. <laughs> um, and I- That's funny because when I hear the song, I think, I wonder where Teresa is right now. <laughs> I wonder what she's doing. Right. <laughs> and so this song came on and I was like, holy fuck fuck is this in the sun right like I couldn't I'm back I'm working backwards in the episode and it comes on quite early in this in the the first of the two and it's Chris Martin and Michael Stripe and initially I I want to yeah what's that Michael Stipe oh Stipe oh I spelled I just put Stripe (laughs) (laughs) it makes more sense (laughs) I hear you (laughs) which leads me to my next point of I don't know who the fuck Michael Stipe is so (laughs) He's the lead singer for R.E.M. Oh, God, that's terrible. We've already <laughs> talked about how we don't like R.E.M. But yeah. I do love the song In the Sun, and I do like Chris Martin, you know, basically yeah. for two of the nine albums that he has. Oh, but, same. Yeah. But I love the song, and so I'm really interested here. I mean, I think that we can objectively say that the Joseph Arthur is clearly the front runner. Like, I'm not yeah. trying to make a stance. Yeah. Or take a stance that this is better than the Joseph Arthur version. Yes. I think that my frustration here is that I don't like Michael Stipe's voice. Mm. I think he has a shitty voice. Is he the one who's singing the whole time? Or is it both of them singing? I, you hear a little bit of Chris Martin, but he okay. starts it. Okay. Okay. So I don't like Michael Stipe's voice. So immediately we're moving from like, Joseph Arthur has a really like rich timbre. Oh. Right? Like, he's got a real texture to his voice. Mm. Michael Stipe's voice is very thin. It's reedy to me. That's why I've never liked it. And and it's also a bit higher. And I, it's just not, it's mm. not mm-hmm. a kind mm-hmm. of voice that I enjoy listening to. And so immediately I'm like, mm-mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have Chris Martin, who, like, I like Chris Martin's voice on Chris Martin songs. Whenever Chris Martin covers somebody else's music, I don't like it because I think that I don't think that Chris Martin has a good voice. I think that he sings well for the music that he writes, which mm. is fine. Like that's that's most artists, right? Like but I don't think that in a vacuum Chris Martin has a nice voice to listen to. It's it's a bit like Colin Malloy ah, of the Decemberists. Yeah. Who who has yeah. a much worse voice than Chris Martin. Yes. I will say that straight up. It's very much like a specific taste. But Colin Malloy sings great on on Decemberist tracks. And yeah. that's partly because he's writing for his voice and his bandmates' voices. If he were to sing in the sun, I'm positive I would want to stab my eardrums, mm. right? Because it's just not for his voice. No. It's, it's not a good song for him. So Shonda Rhimes, in all of her infinite musical wisdom, why the fuck wouldn't she use this Joseph Arthur version and save all of us this agony? Because when I hear this song, I'm immediately transported to the season one finale of The L Word. <laughs> Because we'll not let an episode of Code Grays go by without discussing without a the nod L to the L word. word. <laughs> but it's a really beautiful, you know, it's a montage, of course. Like, what else would it be? But it's a really beautiful song, and it's a song that um, I associate very much with, like, coming out and with queerness and with all of this stuff. 
And so to hear someone else sing it and not sing it particularly great just bummed me out. Yeah. Yeah. I totally hear that. <laughs> that's so, it. No, that's my I, petty I grievance. That's a, I think that's a totally legit. I'm not trying to say that I think it's the best song. It didn't get song of the week. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, listen. No, well, I will. I will post. Um, I'll post a chunk of the music from this episode to Tumblr because yeah. so many good songs so that are just gonna songs. take you back immediately. So like they br- they really brought out their A game. I want to know. You asked an excellent one of my yes. favorite questions. It's like a <laughs> litmus test for people I like and don't like. Of what is your number one most? And I don't even know if people still like this is probably an irrelevant question for most of the population. Right, because people use You and Spotify. I are like the last iTunes library users. I know. But what is your number one most played song on iTunes? Tell me. Okay, so I'm, I'm pulling it up right now. Um, so first of all, I need to say that I know this isn't right. Mm. Oh. Because I know what the number one song was. And I think what happened is that my computer was like set on, you know how there's the setting in iTunes where you can repeat song. And sometimes I'll do that when I'm writing. And sometimes I'll do that when I'm reading. And sometimes I don't shut it off. So I know what the real one is and it's no less embarrassing. But right now, my number one most played song, according to my iTunes library, is Hometown Glory by Adele. (laughs) Yeah. So there goes my rep. That's well, what do you okay, so the follow up question that's, of course is That's real. What <laughs> is that the one you play when you're writing on repeat? I when I was working on a on a particular project, it was this adaptation, I I did. I don't know why. It just fit yeah. with the with the work that I was doing at that time. I also like I genuinely adore that song. Yes. Yeah. Probably my favorite Adele song. <laughs> but it is funny that f- me, that's my That's number one the song. song, is the like. Kind of I think the Adele one that song. got screwed over by like a quirk of whatever happened with my iPod is another Grey's Anatomy song. Oh. To Build a Home by the Cinematic Orchestra. Ooh. I don't know that one. And it's a beautiful song. And I love writing to that song. I really love it. Is it instrumental or does it have lyrics? It has lyrics, but it's very, um, it's, you know, it's the cinematic orchestra. So there's, there's a lot of instrumental work involved. Well. (laughs) What's your number one? Uh, It can't be, it can't be more embarrassing than an Adele song. Oh, no, no, no. I have like zero shame about my number one most. I, I would say that it's. Like, if you forced me to pick a favorite song, it's probably that song. And I have no little, I have no shame about it. Um, It's um, Orange Sky by Alexi Murdoch. Um, That song. Yeah. It was when I, for, well, I have a, I have a hard time sleeping. I'm a bad sleeper. And when I was in most through college and and after college, I had a, a playlist that I would play. I also, a little bit. I like repetition. <laughs> and so I had a playlist that I would listen to every night. And that's was the song that I would listen to first because, and not that didn't make it my favorite song. It always had been before that. 
Um, and it's a song that I really associate with like all, um, all the different kinds of love that a person can experience. And that was like, you know, it's like familial love and romantic love and like self love. And um, I, it, it's like a song that brings me a lot of calm. And I think I like really, really love Alexi Murdoch's voice and he's done some like weird stuff out there and some like really basic stuff out there. And it's a song that's been like really overused in a lot of different TV shows. Um, but I used to listen like to that for song. A reason, clearly. Yeah. For a reason. It's, it's a, I just love the shit out of that song. And it's like a, it's like a centering song for me. And I just, uh, just love it. Love it. I think it's probably been my t- like most played song for like 12 years on iTunes, you know, like <laughs> it's like yeah. never budged from that number one spot. I would say that like probably more interesting is like my fifth most played on iTunes, <laughs> but the number one has always been like loyal to Orange Sky. There are no guarantees in life, not for the present. Nor for the future. All I know is. All right, so what is our death tally for this week? I think it's just Coach Taylor, right? Yeah, sad. I mean, rest in peace. Sad. He's worth like 10 deaths. Yeah. It's rough to watch. But I think that it's, you know, one death for a particularly dramatic episode. I mean, you kind of get the feeling that Derek and Addison's marriage is dying. Yes. But yeah. other than that, just Coach Taylor. Yeah. Karev of the week. I mean, go. what do you have? I put Dr. Milton. Yeah. F- for being just such a douche. Yeah. I called him a dick face, but I also yeah. accept douchebag. Asshole. All of it. I mean, he's awful. What a horrible person. He's the Karev of the week. And I said in my notes, he doesn't even seem particularly bent out of shape. No. When he tells mm-hmm. Hannah, like, I have kids. I've got kids. Yeah. He says it like a shrug. Yeah. It sounds like a shrug. Eh, I got kids. Yeah. He doesn't even sound like he likes his kids. No. No. <laughs> He's like, oh, I guess. So that's two shitty anesthesiologists at Seattle Grace. Yeah. We've got the drunk. Yep. We've got Dr. Milton. Yep. So the question here is, are all anesthesiologists terrible? Sounds like we if need you to know, hear from an anesthesiologist. Please write to us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Or someone who's had a particularly bad breakup with an anesthesiologist. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> Guilty until proven innocent. Uh, Chief resident? 007. I mean, I mean, oh. Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah. 007. I Whatever. mean, I think kind of Christina Ritchie, to yeah, be honest. Hannah. It's not really her fault. Sorry, Hannah. It's not really her fault, but she literally <laughs> ran away from her problems. She also, but go back to the very beginning. She put her hand inside of a body cavity. Yeah. So. so sorry, gotta Hannah. Be, gotta be Hannah. Sorry. It's fine. She's 22 yeah. and it's like her first oh, day like, on the job. We forgive you. So. Yeah, we, we totally forgive you. you. <laughs> but you are the 007 this week. <laughs> Chief resident. Uh, I think, I mean, it kind of has to go to Meredith. Am I right? Yeah. It's, how does it go to anyone else? Yeah. yeah. It's got to be Meredith. Yeah. 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 So. She saves easy. everyone big coach Taylor and. Yeah. He was ready for that. Those are good odds. Yeah, those are great odds. It's a risky situation. You know, I want to talk about line of the week. So initially I had that I, I, I'm like really attached to to this moment of levity that Izzy brings (laughs) with her. Like I haven't had sex in eight months and 12 days. And I, I actually really like that in this episode. And I think that she does a good, she's like a good, 
I don't know. She kind of does what you need her to in a lot of episodes. <laughs> but I, I think that I have to give it to Derek's monologue at the end myself. Yeah. I think that I initially really wanted to give it to Izzy, but I think that even just reflecting back on, on our conversation about, about what that means. Um, I don't know. I think that it's a really powerful and I think it's powerful in the moment and it's powerful for the episode, but I also think it's powerful for the show in terms of what it means for, for my, at least my perspective on their relationship and their future. Yeah. No, I, I think I agree with that. I, you know, my heart beats for the Addison monologue to George. She really gives him a dressing down when he comes into the corridor to seek her out and is basically like, what are you doing? Yes. I don't know. That's do you think I'm not you. doing everything I can to help her? I mean, do you think I'm just out here because, I don't know, I'm feeling a little lazy, just need a little me time? I'm just asking. Stop asking! Because no matter what you ask, the answer is, I don't know. I'm doing everything I can. Everything I can. Miranda Bailey's husband is in mortal danger, actual mortal danger, and there's not a lot I can say to comfort her right now because there's not a lot anybody can say to comfort me. I'm doing my best. Dr. Bailey is doing her best. And I need you to do your best. And I need it to be better than standing here asking me the world's stupidest questions. I don't know, O'Malley. And she's like, let me tell you all the ways I'm not just, like, taking a minute. Yep. <laughs> like, um, and and it's, it is really nice and kind of salvages some some other some of the stuff that I felt was going on in this episode. But yeah. I think you're right that in, like, the mythology of the show – Derek's sort of re-memory is so important and like the act of giving it to her like like sharing that with her I is important because you know it's just like this you know when you hold things inside yourself and they're just like little kernels that are like for you and that you hold and hang on to and like he took one of those and like split it so that someone else could use it the way he does and that's <laughs> sorry <laughs> anyway <laughs> we lost Megan that's fine <laughs> so line of the week Derek <laughs> which is good because I think that we were about ready to like vote him off the island last week, yeah so we were like um he's you're gonna have to go guy he can stick around for another week <laughs> Because now we have buy-in. All right. Medical fact. Is this based on a true story? Well, this is what I wanted to find out because I thought that it was. Yeah. And it turns out that it kind of wasn't. Uh, Or, like, it's not based off of a specific case, mm -hmm. necessarily. Okay. It's... It's... So there's an article in... Um, the April 9th, 2010 edition of the New York Times about doctors removing live ammunition from a soldier's head Mm. in Afghanistan. And it's like very much the exact same situation here, except it's a a head instead of his chest. Okay. And it actually, I mean, it sounds like pretty much what occurred in the show occurred in real life. And I don't know if... This is, I mean, it's rare, certainly, but not so rare that there aren't articles on various cases. Like, from the 2010s to now, I like I found a handful of 
cases that are similar to what we saw in this episode. So I imagine that it had to have some kind of root in real life. But Hmm. I'll just read like a brief description of the scene. Okay. So the surrounding. So again, they're they're in um, Afghanistan. They did a CAT scan showed that a piece of metal about two and a half inches long was probably a cartridge fragment. Not all that unusual. Um, But they took a closer look at the CAT scan and realized that it was an explosive, right? So the surrounding hallways were secured and a bomb disposal team was urgently summoned. All electrical monitoring devices in the operating room were turned off for fear of detonating the round. To keep track of the patient's vital signs, doctors turned to manual blood pressure cuffs and a battery-operated heart monitor, and they began counting drips per minute to estimate the amount of the intravenous anesthesia they were giving the patient. (laughs) Yeah. It's not ideal. (laughs) Within a half hour, the bomb disposal team arrived and confirmed, based on the CAT scan, that the patient indeed had unexploded ordnance in his head. They said, the way these things are set up, this type of round has an impact detonator on the front of the charge. They just said, don't drop it. <laughs> oh, my God. So the doctor, a Dr. Beanie, put on body armor. He started surgically removing the the round. Um, and within, like, 10 minutes, he had pulled out the live round and, quote, with care, he handed it to the bomb technician who put it in a bag and left. Oh my god. So Yeah. Oof. Dr. Beanie said he was unaware an unexploded bomb embedded in a patient's chest had been the plot of a TV show, a two-part episode of Grey's Anatomy in 2006. Wow. The character Hawkeye Pierce also pulled an unexploded grenade out of the chest of a wounded soldier in an episode of MASH in 1973. Oh. And then the doctor ends the article ends with the doctor saying none of that stuff you see on tv approximates reality except that like this appears i was gonna say like (laughs) so it's better because i can't really imagine a worse situation as somebody who has never experienced that kind of trauma (laughs) yeah according to this article and according to what they said is a quick review of the medical literature um fewer than 50 cases of this type have been found over the last half century. Hmm. So. Wow. There you go. A not totally absurd Grey's Anatomy storyline. That's great. That's so scary. That's really scary. <laughs> I don't. <That's> really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. God. So. All right. Well, <laughs> I forget that sometimes we try not to end on the medical fact of the week and try to like end with line of the week or something. But here we are. Right. Here we are. Well. I mean, at least we're not ending with, like, the world is fucked. Right. And there's nothing to do. No, but. we're going to withhold discussion about the yeah. political world this right now. we had a medical fact. Woohoo! All right. All right. Well, I guess that's um, what we have. Yeah. So let's, let's run through the usual suspects, I suppose. Yeah. I've gotten faster at these. So please subscribe to our show on iTunes. It would be just so helpful if you would, because maybe... Someday it's, you know, like easier for us to make it. Also, Please give us five stars. <laughs> yeah. We would really appreciate us- it. I'm not give too good to ask stars. for that. Please five yeah, stars. Yeah, give us five stars because we just gave you 
two episodes in one. That's that right. seems like it deserves five stars. Please give us um, five stars. <laughs> if you don't want to subscribe on iTunes, that's fine. Because you can also subscribe on Podbean, our wonderful host. You can sub- subscribe on Stitcher Radio and on Acast. You can find us on our website, code-grays.tumblr.com. You can find us on Twitter, where we're hilarious, yep. at code underscore grays underscore. We just asked Sarah Utterback on Twitter, <sighs> i.e. Nurse Olivia, if she'd be on our show. Please. She's not responded. But we'll keep you updated. She's probably just not on Twitter tonight. She'll respond tomorrow. Yeah, that's totally what it <laughs> that's is. For sure what's happening. You can you can also find us on Facebook. We just set up a Facebook page, and we're going to oh, yeah. try and be posting to that. But you can find all of our episodes there as well. And then finally, you can always reach out to us via email, codegrays at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. All right. <laughs> That's all we have. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, guys. We love you. Unlike me, unlike me, do you think I'm strange?